It's not just time to get away. It's time to travel with Anita. From around the world to across Georgia, she covers it all. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. Now, where are you planning to travel? Do you have someplace in mind? Are you thinking of destinations nearby or off into the wild blue yonder? Now, for some of us, we have been staying close to home. I know that's me. I've been traveling a little bit, but close to home for the most part. But now we're ready to get back out there, and we're wondering, how are things? What are the requirements that are in place? What about mandates? How can I easily plan for vacations without, you know, that feeling of feeling super stressed with planning a getaway? Because getaways are supposed to, you know, take the stress away. (laughs) They're supposed to not be like work and day-to-day life. So today I have asked two of my friends to share how we can really get back in, jump back in in some places that we can go. First I have coming up Davey Sutton, who is the host of Go Explore. And later, I have Heath Carter, who is with Coral Management, and they manage the Lake Blackshear, Georgia State Park, which is a resort. So I'm really excited to share that with you. And they're both going to share tips on their destinations and help us get back to, you know, to feeling like we can really get booked. And later in the show, I'll also share two segments from my podcast, Quarter Miles Travel. Both of them have excellent ideas of destinations to visit and learn a lot more about some iconic figures. So more about those things a little bit later on. Let's start today with my conversation with Davy Sutton, where I asked her to get us some help and get us back on track, selecting and planning a vacation getaway. You know, we're ready to go further than around the city and the state. You know, we've been doing that for two years now. We're ready to go abroad. So what's open? Where can we go? Okay, so I'm going to first take you to the Southern Caribbean, to the Dutch island of Curacao. Curacao is a great place if you like adventures on land, in the sea, and it's also a great place to be like interacting with locals, and so you can get a good amount of uh, cultural immersion there. And then next, I'm going to recommend people keep their eye on a place that they can check off their bucket list, and that's Fiji, because Fiji recently just reopened to Americans. And then finally, the place I am now, I'm in Cancun, you know, Mexico (laughs) has always been one of the easiest places for Americans to get to. And there aren't any entry requirements as far as testing right now. And so if you like the combination of the sun, the sea, the sand, let's see, tacos and tequila and the (laughs) nightlife and add Cancun to your list. Well, you know what, Davey, I love all of that. So I'm checking, 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 and I love Fiji, but you're right. And Mexico is a favorite for, you know, us folks here in the Atlanta area. But now, how should we plan? Because as I mentioned, we've kind of been sitting around. Some of us have gotten rusty. I've talked to a couple of people that have said, you know, I'm a little rusty now. I'm not really sure about planning and how I should do it. So what tips do you have for us for making sure that we get those plans right? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I actually call that travel rusty. And even I, as you know, my job is to travel. Um, when I was ram- ramping back up, it, I, I was like forgetting something here and forgetting something there. But what you can do to kind of relieve some of the stress is try to book an all-inclusive experience. So there's a recent survey that said that 77% of those surveys actually prefer an all-inclusive uh, res- uh, vacation. Uh, they believe it's less stressful. 
impactful. So I'm actually at an all-inclusive resort right now. I'm at the uh, Wyndham Ultra all-inclusive resort in Cancun. It's a new brand of all-inclusive resorts for the Wyndham Hotels, and it's at the upper mid price range. So it's an elevated experience because you've probably been at an all-inclusive resort before and you haven't really been that impressed. And this is a new niche, a new lane for the Wyndham Hotels to kind of fill that void of making all-inclusive really comfortable for your entire entire family. So this property in particular is so gorgeous. It's right on the beach. There's two pools. It's family friendly so you can bring the kitties there's a there's a water park you know with a water slide and a medieval castle and a pirate <laughs> ship um, and then for adults there's lots of things to do as well they, they have activities that you can participate so it's actually even a good idea for solo travelers because you can just come to the resort and then participate on one of the on resort activities and then every single night here which is really fun because we're in Cancun and part of Cancun's appeal is the nightlife and hanging out with everybody around town but they, you don't even have to leave the resort. You can come and they have a nightly show every single night on property here. Well, okay. You've got me putting that top of the list. <laughs> Everything you're saying, I'm really yes. ready to go and do it right now, Davey. But, you know, since you mentioned all-inclusives, let's talk just a little, you know, a little bit about that because I know sometimes people shy away from that. I mean, the window sounds like it's doing it right, but... I mean, all-inclusive, are they really all-inclusive? Can you tell us a little bit about what all-inclusive really means? Yeah, you know, that's one of the benefits. Um, you, When you arrive to, to the property, you can really put your wallet away, right? Because it does include your food and your drinks and most experiences. And that is the, the appeal. And, and the topic that we're talking about is reducing the stress and the checklist of things to do when it comes to traveling. And that's what the appeal to having an all-inclusive. Yes, it's truly all-inclusive. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Now, I know we're talking about the Wyndham, but what about cruises? You know, because I've, I've also, you know, been on cruises and they will say, you know, it's all-inclusive. So does that apply with cruising as well? All-inclusive is all-inclusive? Yeah, so this is, yes, for sure. And But I, for each, you know, travel company and experience, you really do want to look for those things. So that would be like a tip is like, yeah, you know, the headline might say all-inclusive, but you really see what they really are including and, and just read the website for where, you know, the travel company or even the destination that you're traveling to. That's a really good point. I love that. So do you have any suggestions on where we could go, maybe see a celebrity or two? So the celebrity, the, the celebrity hot spots, I don't have, but I have, a, there was a survey of like the top celebrities that people were interested in traveling. Oh. Um, and so the number one person, I wonder, I want to know if you can probably guess the number one person on that list of, <laughs> of where people uh, say they want to hang out with on vacation. Well, I don't know. I know for me, it would probably be Oprah and Gail, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that seems fun. You can get a lot of auntie knowledge, right? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. The top of this list was actually Beyonce. Oh. And then she had 20, she had 26%. And then right after her was Rihanna at 25%. And then people were interested in traveling with Adele and then Cardi B. And then when I saw Cardi B's name on the list, I was really intrigued. I was like, actually, she would be really fun to travel with because she seems so entertaining. She's funny. <laughs> she's silly. And then she might, you know, even like be inspired to, to do a new song. And I would have been there to witness the whole thing. These are my fantasies. Now I'm going down my fantasies. But anyway, <laughs> that's my pick. Do you have a pick? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think I'd probably still go back to uh, to Oprah, but I love the Beyonce idea. I'm a big Beyonce fan, so definitely that would be high on my list. But and it's like you said, it's like a fantasy because yeah. I'm sure if I was uh, vacationing with them, I would be seeing them from afar. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. But now you have a travel show, so how can we find you, uh, Davy, to you know just watch what you're doing and see what you're doing and where you're traveling to? Yeah. So to follow all of my adventures, go to at Davy Sutton on all social media. And then if you want to know more about the new Wyndham Ultra All Inclusive Resort, visit Wyndham.com. Okay, I'm writing that down because I'm ready to book my trip. <laughs> Thanks so much, Davey, yes. for coming. And uh, get back out there in the sun and fun. You're in the right place to do all of that. Yes. <laughs> yes thank you. All right, thanks. Take care. Hmm, Davey kind of got me thinking there. Like, what celebrity I would want to see on vacation? Well, you know, she mentioned a couple there. I do like Beyonce, so maybe Beyonce. But like I said, I kind of think if um, if I see a celebrity, they're going to be in one spot, I'll be in another spot. But, hey, you never know. I ran into Anthony Bourdain one time on a trip and was able to have a little chat with him and actually get a picture, so you never know. So, hey, if you see a celebrity out there, be brave enough to go up and let them know <laughs> how much you enjoy their movie, their song, or whatever it might be. But I'm still thinking that, you know, Oprah and Gail would be my real choice because I've sailed with them and I know that they are a lot of fun. So, so I know what I would get on that vacation with a celebrity. But now when we come back, I have another destination to take you to. And it's not too far away. And how about golf lessons from a pro? How about that? Now, all of this will be right here on Travel with Anita. So you guys stay put and I'll be back and tell you all about one of the Georgia State Parks. We gone fishing. Instead of just a wishing Lakeside views from your room, great fishing and boating. It's a state park with tons of fun. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And I'm talking about our Georgia State Park, Lake Blackshear Resort. And today I have with me the Vice President of Marketing and Sales with Coral Hospitality, Heath Carter. He and I had a chance to sit down and chat when I was there at Lake Blackshear on a press trip, having a wonderful time. So I want to share this with you. It is about uh, 10 miles off the exit, mm. uh, but it is a full-service resort, and I think you've gotten to see uh, what that means uh, here. It's a little surprising in a state park that we have so many things to do and the activities and uh, here in a state park, but also the accommodations and restaurants. Um, so it, it is a full-service resort. And let's talk a little bit about the accommodations, because you're right. I think when people think state parks, even national parks, they think camping. I can take my RV, or maybe I can you know, bring my tent and put that up. But there are actual accommodations here. This feels like a hotel. Yeah, well, it is a hotel. <laughs> you know, we have, uh, uh, we have lodge rooms. Uh, they were newly renovated in uh, 2018. Uh, so they have, you know, everything that you would get in a full-service resort. Um, we also have cabins on the lake mm -hmm. that you can rent. Uh, we even have a campground. I think you saw that this morning. Mm -hmm. So the people that have their RVs that just want to get out a little bit and take their RVs out and have a get a campsite right on the lake, uh, bring their boat uh, so they can do that also. So we have a, a variety and uh, diversity of uh, accommodations. 
And it is pet friendly, so for everyone who's loving traveling with their pets, kind of really picked up on that during the pandemic, yeah. bring the whole family along, including the fur babies. So pet friendly as well? Uh, absolutely. We have accommodations that are pet friendly. Uh, I think uh, this day and age, you know, everybody wants to take their uh, pet with them, and we do have room, lodge rooms and cabins that are pet friendly. Now, some of the activities that you can do are things like kayaking and going out canoeing, but you also have a beach. We do. We have a, a beach here in Georgia on the lake. So we have a swimming area that you can uh, swim in the lake that's cordoned off a section of it, uh, sand on the beach. Uh, so you can get that. Uh, but we also have a swimming pool, you know, mm -hmm. so the people that uh, don't want to swim in the lake can uh, use, utilize the swimming pool at the resort. Uh, so both uh, a lot of water activities with the marina. You can rent pontoon boats, uh, rent fishing boats uh, here. So if you don't have your own boat, um, you know, you can come to the resort and rent half-day, full-day trips. Now, if I come and rent a boat, though, I've, you know, done a little bit of boating, but I'm a little rusty. Are you guys going to help me out? Oh, absolutely. We've got uh, people in, in the marina that will show you how to take the boat out, all the safety uh, things that you need to do and uh, where to go and, you know, how to operate the, uh, operate the boat safely. So not a problem. And the lake is beautiful, so that is definitely one of the things that people will want to do when they come here, is to get out on the water, absolutely. Well, that's that's the showcase. I mean, it is a, a relaxing lakeside resort. Um, all the accommodations uh, have views of the lake. I think you saw that in our mm -hmm. tour. Uh, and I think that's what makes it special. I mean, sometimes you, you go to a lakeside resort, but your accommodations might be far from the lake. Mm -hmm. And you really don't get that, you know, that you're at the lake or you have to get in your car to drive to the lake. Um, this, you, you know, as you're, all the lodge rooms and the villas overlook the lake, um, they have porches, uh, decks on the cabins that you can see the lake. So you really get that whole lakeside retreat that, and mm -hmm. vacation that you're looking for. But now let's talk a little bit though in, about the golfing, because I think also too, that's another thing that people don't necessarily think state park golfing or if it is golfing what's the course going to be like and will i really be able to you know get my sort of normal golfing experience but hey this is like a number one over here well i was really impressed uh with the state of georgia and their golf courses um i wasn't quite sure coming from another state when i started working for uh coral and uh, you know wasn't sure what the golf would experience would be like mm -hmm. and i was blown away by the condition of the courses, the facilities, uh, the offerings, you know, they have lessons, you can get teaching, and the value. I mean, yeah. just, uh, you know, it's incredible, I think, as we visited the golf course today, um, just seeing the golf course compared to uh, what it costs to place some of these golf courses is, you know, definitely mm -hmm. worth the drive um, to come and check it out. Uh, just really uh, scenic you know there's not homes built all around it mm -hmm. um, you, know, you see that today a lot that it's yeah. a golf course with you know they're throwing up condos on it or throwing up houses and you know uh, I know I don't really like standing on the first tee and want to be worried about hitting the house next to me. <laughs> so, no, you definitely don't want that. I'm sure the neighbors wouldn't want it either. So here you can, if you miss that first tee shot, you're, you know, you've got a lot of space out here. There's no homes. There's no <laughs> condos built on it. We have a lot of acreage. And uh, the designer, Dennis Griffin, uh, did an excellent job of uh, laying this golf course out. And it's mm -hmm. very scenic um, through the pecan groves here in South Georgia. 
And you know, I mean, in your name is resort, so I mean, you definitely feel that. And I think because, like what you just said, there's not a lot of you know development around the lake that you really do feel that you can come here, relax, do a couple of activities, come back, have some great meals in the restaurants, go back out, have a few more activities, and it really is resort, resort life in it, South Georgia. It is. I mean, and that's why you know we have the resort name in Lake Blackshear, mm-hmm. um, just to let people know we do have that. We have a um, lakeside restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, has uh, weekend entertainment, uh, outdoor entertainment on it. Uh, we have uh, indoor uh, fine dining restaurant, mm-hmm. um, more upscale. We have a kind of a bar pub called 88s uh, that you got to experience last night a little bit. Delicious. And with a fireplace and the TVs in it, um, you know, just to kind of sit back and enjoy the lakeside atmosphere, but at the same time have the uh, uh, facilities that uh, come to expect at a resort. There is a museum here that recognizes and honors our veterans. So tell us, the listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, that that's something that I encourage everybody to come and see. Uh, even if you're just coming inside the state park, um, you know the the veterans museum they have in the visitor center is uh, you know really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really goes back to show and recognize the veterans from Georgia that served in all the conflicts. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, all dating back to the Civil War. Yeah, um, the Revolutionary War. Yeah. It was Revolutionary War mm-hmm. too in there. And so it, it was, uh, you know, they have uh, all types of uh, memorabilia, artifacts, and it's really laid out well. A lot of uh, history and information on the plaques that you can really follow through the years and learn how the veterans here in Georgia you know, served. contribution, yeah. absolutely. Then there is a state park or state facility that's a train. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we and have, it's part of, like, you know, the experience that you're going to have here at Lake Blackshear. We do. We actually have a train depot within the park, and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't realize that, but the Sam Short Line um, is kind of, that is their uh, base of operations mm-hmm. is right out of uh, the park. Now, they have other stops and uh, have other trips throughout, uh, but they start here in, uh, in Veterans Memorial uh, State Park here at Lake Blackshear. It is a fantastic trip that you can go back in time and ride mm-hmm. uh, some of these historic uh, train cars and, and go and see some of the uh, towns and cities here in South Georgia. Well, you're going to do the murder mystery tonight, aren't you? I'm doing the murder mystery tonight, and I hope that I can figure it out. <laughs> I want to be one of those ones that gets it right. <laughs> But now I know that the listeners are ready to come because I'm ready to come. I haven't left yet, but I'm ready to come back. So how can they go about booking and getting more information and getting everything set up as well with activities that they need to do ahead of time? Well, as anything, you can uh, definitely call a resort, but we, you know, so many people are booking online now. Mm -hmm. So you can go directly to our uh, website, lakeblackshareresort.com. You know, we have, you have all types of packages and specials that are running. You can book, you know, right off the website. From the Gainesville area, the North Georgia area where, you know, where we are, it's what, about three, a little over three hours. So it's easy to get here. Very easy. Straight down 75 and you're here. You can let your shoulders down, relax, do some activities and have a great time. Well, we appreciate you coming and uh, love showing the resort off to you this weekend. I'm telling you guys, you want to go to Lake Blackshear, so check out the website. Check it out, book it, and go have some fun. (laughs) And think about me while you're there. I'll be back in a minute here on Travel with Anita and Friends.
there are many places to go and check out history and iconic Americans who have made our country an amazing place to call home. And here on Travel with Anita and Friends, I want to share one iconic woman who created a slogan that we were all very excited about. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Do you remember the saying, ride, Sally, ride? Well, on my podcast, Quantum Miles Travel, I shared a lot of details about her. Those little known facts. And I want to share those with you now. A little bit about my podcast and Sally Ride. Ride, Sally, ride. America knows her as our beloved first female astronaut. And her love of science was a lifelong one. She was always interested in science, which was supported and encouraged by her parents. As a child, she would ask for science-related gifts like telescopes, chemistry sets, and a subscription to Scientific American Magazine. So it's really no wonder that she would grow up and make such significant achievements in science and stand out as an American icon. And on the second quarter of the American Women's Series of the U.S. Minute Commemorative Quarters is Sally Ride. She's on the reverse side, or as we sometimes call it, the tail side of the quarter. And her bright smile and enthusiastic spirit shines through in the design. On the reverse side, she is depicted sitting next to a window on the space shuttle with the diagram of Earth. There is an inscription of a quote by her which says, But when I wasn't working, I was usually at a window looking down at Earth. And I'm sure she sat by many windows looking out at space through her life, hoping that one day she would be in outer space. But how much do you know about the woman who looked out of her window, dreaming of being in space. And one day, there she was, walking to the shuttle, ready to board and ride Sally Ride. So here are a couple of things that you may or may not know about Sally Ride. She was born on May 26, in 1951, and she grew up in Encino, California with her parents, Dale and Joyce Ride. She even had a younger sister, Karen, whose nickname was Bear. At the age of nine, she began collecting stamps, and she was particularly interested in stamps that featured astronauts. Now, little did she know that as she continued to collect these stamps all through her life, that one day she would actually be featured on a stamp. In 2018, the United States Postal Service released a forever stamp that featured Sally Ride. Now, one could also most likely guess that she would be a huge fan of Star Trek, the TV series. Watching, I'm sure, first dreaming, but then later having her own real-life experiences in space that she could share and she could talk about. As she loved to run, she also loved playing tennis, volleyball, and softball. She even won the Eastern Collegiate Tennis Tournament during her first year in college. And while attending Stanford, Sally taught tennis at a summer camp in Lake Tahoe and actually played in an expedition doubles game against tennis champion Billie Jean King when she visited the camp in 1972. King told Sally that if she worked really hard, she could become a pro player as well. Of course, Sally had other things on her mind. She would go on to earn her bachelor's degree in physics and English and her master's degree in physics and her Ph.D in physics, all from Stanford University. So again, you can see she loves science. And she was an avid fan of the LA Dodgers baseball team and dreamed of one day becoming a shortstop. But we know her life story took her on to become an astronaut. Her love life was not something that she shared so publicly. 
She was, as I mentioned earlier, the first to acknowledge that she was a gay astronaut. However, this didn't come out until after her death. She wrote in her obituary that her business partner and friend, Tam O'Shaughnessy, was also her life partner. And this was later confirmed by Tam and by Sally's family. Sally and Tam met when they were preteens playing tennis together. They initially became friends and then eventually would later become life partners, spending 27 years together in total. She also did have a short five-year marriage with fellow astronaut Stephen Hawley. Now, during her career at NASA, before she began flying in space, Sally became the first female capsule communicator. And in this role, she was responsible for talking to the astronauts who were on the space shuttle. She assisted with this for two missions, the STS-2 in 1981 and the STS-3 in 1982. During her astronaut training, Sally was required to fly as a passenger in a T-38 jet, which can travel at speeds up to 500 miles per hour and are known to fly upside down. Now, of course, you know she loved that thrill so much that she went on to obtain her pilot's license. Another way that we can also use her tagline, Ride Sally Ride. It's a perfect fit there, too. On June 18, 1983, Sally became the first American woman to fly into space. She traveled aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger on mission STS-7. During this trip, she served as a mission specialist and was responsible for deploying and retrieving a satellite with the shuttle's robotic arm. The overall purpose of this mission was to deploy satellites into orbit. We can thank her for that. Satellites help us with a lot of things. She flew into space a second time on October 5th in 1984 aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger on mission STS-41G. This time she was joined by another female astronaut, Catherine Sullivan. And this was the first time that a mission to space included two female crew members. Catherine would go on to become the first American woman to walk in space. The overall purpose of this mission was to deploy the Earth Radiation Budget Satellite and also conduct several experiments related to space and terrestrial applications. Asala was training for a third mission to space when the Challenger space shuttle exploded. Following this, flights were grounded and she was never again presented with the opportunity to return to space. She was, however, recruited to serve as a member of the Presidential Commission for NASA and was tasked with investigating the 1986 explosion of Challenger. But she was also called upon again in 2003 to help with the investigation of the explosion of Columbia. She was the only person to serve on both investigative panels. Now, after her career with NASA, you would wonder, well, what would she do? What could be as exciting as being a NASA astronaut? Sally went on to serve as a fellow at Stanford's Center for International Security and Cooperation for two years. She worked to verify the Soviet Union's nuclear warhead arsenal. And in 1989, she became a professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego, and went on to serve as director of the University of California's California Space Institute. Her love of space never waned. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 60, 
She fought the disease for 17 months before passing away on July 23, 2012. Sally gave so much to the field of science and left a legacy of reaching for the moon for little girls for years to come. And not just only for little girls, and not just for space. Her story inspires us all to set goals that are above the clouds and to set out to reach them. Look at it as though maybe reaching them one star at a time. Right, Sally, right. I can still remember the excitement and the thrill that we had watching Sally prepare and take that first step onto her first trip into space. You guys remember that? We were all sitting around the TV excited and we couldn't say right Sally right enough. I mean, we were so excited about that. Now, if you want to find out more information, a trip up to DC to visit the Smithsonian's Air and Space Museum is where you can learn a lot more about Sally Ride and also learn a lot more about our air and space programs that are all around the US that you can learn more about. You can visit their website at airandspace.si.edu. Now, I'll stop and I'll take a break here, but when I come back, We'll visit with another place to learn about another iconic woman, Helen Keller. Now, if you know a little bit about her, I think we most do about the water pump and how she learned to to actually speak. But I'm telling you, if you guys want to know a lot more about her, you gotta listen to the next segment because I actually talk with someone at her birthplace as well as Perkins School for the Blind where she attended. I got a lot of details to tell you. So stay right where you are. I'll be back in a few minutes. On travel with Anita and friends. tenacity, bravery, and determination. All great qualities when we take them one by one, but how about when you find them all in one person and many more too? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. That person who had all of these qualities and more is Helen Keller. She taught us so much about being determined and never giving up, the true meaning of really believing in yourself. I had a chance to sit down with Susan Pilkington, who is the executive director of the Helen Keller's Birthplace in Tuscumbia, Alabama. It is her childhood home and the location of that well-known water fountain that we all know about. It's the location of many other iconic moments in Helen's life as well. So I start by having Sue tell us about Helen's parents, because so little is known about them and really the other parts of her life. On a spring day in 1887, at a black well pump, Outside of her home, a young girl's world changed. Although blind and deaf, on this day, her world would become clearer, much more aware, much more awake and understood. Helen Keller spoke. With cool water flowing over her hand, her teacher Ann Sullivan tapping letters onto her palm, she was freed from a world of darkness to one of enlightenment. And that day was the start of making the world more accessible not only to her but to many others. This is the story of Helen Keller whose image is on the reverse side of the Alabama state quarter. To tell her story, I asked three ladies who know the Helen Keller story very well. 
Susan Pilkington, the Executive Director at the Birthplace of Helen Keller, and at the Perkins School for the Blind, Susan Coit, who is an archivist and research library assistant, and Jennifer Arnott, a research librarian. I shut up by Susan from the birthplace of Helen Keller in Tuscumbia, Alabama, to tell us not only a little bit about her childhood, but also about her parents and her sibling. Here's what Susan shared with me. Uh, Helen's parents uh, was Captain and Mrs. Keller. Uh, Captain Keller was a Confederate officer in the cavalry. Uh, his, her mother came from Memphis, Tennessee, and so basically her mother was a uh, what we would call today a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she helped raise the children and, and do things around the house. Uh, Captain Keller was a lawyer, a newspaper writer, and we still have his old printing press located in our local newspaper office. Helen actually had two half-brothers. Her father had been married once before, and the first wife died at a very young age, leaving him with the two sons. So a few years later, he met and married Kate Adams, uh, and they had Helen. She was the oldest of the second family. And then she had a sister, Mildred, and then uh, brother Phillips Brooks Keller. So there were actually five siblings in the Keller family. Mm-hmm. Helen was born a normal child, and at the age of 19 months, she had a very high fever, but left her deaf and blind. And they said it could have been measles or scarlet fever, but her sight and hearing was taken away from her at 19 months. So, you know, for 19 months, she could hear and see, and then all of a sudden, she couldn't hear or see anything. And I think a lot of that had to do with her early childhood of being what we would call uncontrollable or spoiled. Her family just let her do whatever she wanted to do because they didn't know how to cope or deal with a deaf-blind child. How did her parents determine that she was deaf and blind? Well, Mrs. Keller, uh, Helen was sick, of course, and was running a fever. They called the doctor. The doctor came, and then she started talking to Helen, uh, and they said it was just like a stare. And Mrs. Keller noticed that her eyes wasn't moving and she would not hear her. She would not respond to her. So that's how they found out that Helen was deaf and blind. And the local doctor, I guess, confirmed it. Yes, that's true. Well, you said she was unruly and everything, but how how were they able to focus on, on what she needed and provide for her needs? Well, that did not happen until Ann Sullivan arrived in 1887. And that was shortly before Helen's seventh birthday. And when Anne arrived, she watched Helen eat out of everyone's plate, throw temper tantrums, and Hel- uh, Annie did not like that. So she tried to discipline her, and she and Captain Keller actually had words. And Anne realized then that she had to take Helen away from the house and the parents to teach her her manners so she would rely on her. So that's the reason why Helen and Annie went to the small cottage next door to the main house. Uh, But they put Helen in the carriage and they drove her all around the grounds, which was 640 acres. And Helen thought she was going far away, but she was actually just coming back next door. They stayed there two weeks. Annie brought her back into the house. And guess what? She started throwing 
temper tantrums. And Hella Annie took her from the table out to the pump and started spilling water over her hand as the, wa- as the water flowed over her hand. And at that time, Helen realized what Annie was spelling was the coolness that was coming over her hand. And they said she learned over 30 words that day. Mm-hmm. So it was like the key that opened her brain. She was highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said she had an IQ of 160. Annie certainly had her hands full, but I wanted to know from Susan, if Annie was the only teacher that Helen had, or did she have other teachers as well? Annie Sullivan was her first teacher and the only teacher until they went to Perkins School in Boston. And many people asked, why did she go all the way to Boston? Well, Alexander Graham Bell told Captain Keller about uh, Annie Sullivan, and that's how she came to Tuscumbia. And then there were no schools for the deaf blind in the South. Now, we had uh, the uh, Alabama Institute uh, in Talladega, but if, in the 1800s, you had to ha- be deaf or blind. You could not have both disabilities. So therefore, she had to go away to school. And so they went to Perkins School in Boston. Well, what was going on in Alabama at the time? What was Alabama and Tuscumbia? What, what was it like at that time? Yes, well, actually, Tuscumbia grew up around the Keller home. And, of course, uh, Captain Keller, it was after the uh, Civil War. And, of course, money was tight uh, in the South, uh, all over the South. And so they had to, you know, plant the crops and and uh, harvest them. And uh, they had to, you know, everyday business. That's about what it would be uh, in today's terms. We have about 11,000 now in Tuscumbia. That's our little population. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, we have so much, not only in Tuscumbia, but all over Colbert County. Uh, you know, we are the hit recording capital of the world, and people come here uh, rec- to record music. But, of course, that wasn't going on during the 1800s. But it was just more of a rule of uh, farmers, crops, and, and things like that. For a truly immersive experience into Helen Keller's life, visit her birthplace home in Tuscumbia, Alabama. I asked Susan, who is the executive director at the birthplace home, to tell us about the experience when we visit. The home was built on the Virginia cottage uh, from the outside. Uh, it doesn't look like there's an upstairs, but it was built in 1820 by Helen's grandfather, David Keller, who came from Virginia. Uh, we still have uh, 85% of the furnishings belong to the Keller family. We still have the original floors. Uh, the pump is still where it was in the 1800s, and the cottage also next door. This was really just a tease of that whole podcast about Helen Keller, because I'm telling you guys, it's a long one. And I also talked with two ladies who are at the Perkins School for the Blind, which is where Helen went to learn much more about how she can operate and communicate as a person who is deaf and blind. Now, the Perkins Institute for the Blind, really, they had a couple of really great stories to talk about Helen's experiences there, and also just to give us a little insight into what it takes to really educate and train someone who is deaf and blind. They also had several funny stories, as did Susan, uh, as, as we talked further into the podcast. 
And that gives you a really good insight into the young girl, Helen, that would then on, go on to become an international inspiration, not only for those who are blind and who are deaf, but really for all of us. Now, you can find Quartermouse Travel Podcast where you get your podcasts. I'm on all of those sites. Or you can also visit my website, travelwithanita.com, and you'll find the podcast there. So check it out for both Sally Rice's podcast as well as Helen Keller's. And that's travelwithanita.com. And remember, Anita has two ends in it. So thanks for joining me today here on Travel with Anita and Friends. I'll be back with more interesting stories like the ones today and how they can also inspire us to get out there and travel. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Oh.